So how much time are you spending telling the Luminar story in order to support the uh, fact that you're now public versus actually doing development? Because I know for a long time, you love doing the development. Don't lie. Yeah. Oh, I, I actually have a much more important question for you. How much time do you spend indoors wearing those sunglasses? <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of the Atomicast. I'm Kirsten Korosek, Senior Transportation Reporter with TechCrunch. And I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I'm the Communications Director at Partners for Automated Vehicle Education and the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And I'm Alex Roy, uh, the founder of the Human Driving Association, the co-founder of the No Parking Podcast, um, the Director of Special Operations for Argo AI, which I do not represent on this show, and a fan of all entrepreneurs who own tanks prior to going public and say no to their boards when they are told they cannot drive them after going public. <laughs> Welcome to the show today, Austin Russell of Luminar <laughs> That's great. I, I, I uh, could not could not think of a better intro there. Uh, thank, thanks, Alex. Yeah, no, I'm uh, ha- happy to be on here. Thank, thanks for hosting. Lo- love to be uh with the most uh, edgy and forward-looking autonomous industry reporters. So, Austin, I came to your office to visit last year. You gave me a, a tour. It was fantastic. But the coolest part was not your car, which we can talk about. <laughs> it was in your office. You had a fan. I think you had six displays set up, correct, in your office? Yeah, I, I, I do have a, a command center in my office. That's Stacked right. Stacked three wide and two high. Am I remembering that correctly? Uh, yeah, I, r- right now I actually have just three giant 70-inch monitors uh, next to each other. So they kind of replace the 70-inch. Yeah. So did you custom, did you configure that setup yourself and set it up yourself with drivers and everything? Or did you have someone do it? <laughs> Um, I specified it myself and then, uh, someone else definitely helped. Oh, I know. All, all right. I'm no, not a tracker anymore. I've lost my street cred. That sucks because you know something, I, I know you're very busy, but I had, my question of the day was I can't get my, my 49 inch wide gaming display to, you know, something, let's just drop this. Austin, it's great to have you in a ton of cast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. Great to be with you guys. Yeah, we have someone here who just went public and Alex is asking advice about screen resolution. The thing about Austin, though, is that he's a human being. He's not one of these faceless Silicon Valley. He's an actual human being. He likes to have fun also. Yeah. But we can talk about the spec, too. Okay. Well, Austin, are you using your 70-inch monitor setup to game or to plot your, um, your next move? For, for Luminar, definitely plotting world domination. For the game, <laughs> but, you know, it's uh, no, just kidding. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, it's it's actually super helpful to be able to have a, a lot of a lot of screen real estate, given everything going on, and you know, you're always multitasking on you know ten different things. But um, but yeah, it's uh, it's good. Just keep plugging away. No shortage of things going on. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, so 2020 has been sort of a wacka wackadoodle year for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has been action packed for you. You are now a publicly traded, you know, Luminar is now a publicly traded company, but I, I was hoping that you could go back to before that. And we've talked a little bit about why, but 
I want you to share with our audience, you know, if you hadn't gone public, would you have, would Luminar have been at risk? Um, was going public its best chance for survival or was there some other reason? You know, it, it's a good question. Uh, we, we actually were thinking pretty deeply about, okay, well, what's the next kind of strategic, not, not just product, but corporate move that we would want to have, you know, in positioning the company. And, and, and there was uh, a couple different options that we had, um, you know, one of which was a deeply strategic option. It was actually a sim- very similar amount of capital um, that would have been invested into the business, um, you know, and uh, uh, potentially um, uh, certain terms that were that were even better value-wise. But at the same time, um, you know, over the long term, um, you still give up a sizable chunk of the business to a, to a single customer, and and that's that's hard, you know, when uh, when trying to be able to uh, really be a global uh, provider of these autonomous systems, all the different OEMs. Uh, so that was where, uh, you know, we were continuing to work closely with, uh, with the partners and, uh, really thought that, you know, ultimately going public was going to be the right route. I, I think that there's always been an idea in our minds that the right time or really actually the first time where it can make sense to go public was when in the autonomous industry, someone was able to nail down a series production win for autonomy getting that long-term forward-looking visibility into a real business, real revenues, et cetera. And that's really what we ended up doing, starting with Volvo. And then uh, also, you know, these these, uh, major deals with Daimler Trucks and Mobileye only added fuel to the fire. So um, that was where it's really, we're the first in the industry to be able to have these kinds of production wins. And uh, I think that's that's why we're able to have a public debut with uh, such great fanfare. So how much time are you spending telling the Luminar story in order to support the uh, fact that you're now public versus actually doing development? Because I know for a long time, you love doing the development. Don't lie. Yeah. Oh, I, I actually have a much more important question for you. How much time do you spend indoors wearing those sunglasses? <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can make fun of the kid, but the kid will never change. <laughs> never change. There, there we go. Um, you know, no, it's 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 good. It's the, cl- the classic Alec Roy or Alex Roy. Um, so I, I think uh, when it, when it comes to this, you know, it, it's it's a good question. Like obviously, it's 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 heavily it's more heavily weighted than normal uh, towards um, a more outward facing uh, perspective at this stage um, than, than inward facing uh, probably for the past past few weeks. Uh, but you know, I, I don't know. At, at the same time, I mean. We're, we're grinding internally just, you know, for to the day to day and making sure that we, we, you know, we, you know, we have these very detailed, like week by week deliverables and milestones that we have to meet for, you know, our partners and customer base. But, you know, to be honest, I, I think the most important part as a leader um, is to some extent getting a little bit out of the weeds of some of the day to day development and making sure that you have the best people on the planet that are continuing to work on that. I mean, my whole operating position within this company is to continue to set the vision, guidance, strategic direction, uh, planning, and of course, uh, importantly, from a business standpoint, you know, making sure we get these major deals done and make them the best we possibly can. So I think uh, uh, we're breaking a lot of the traditional models, you know, within the industry and within automotive. And uh, I think that's where the fresh perspective definitely helps, but reinforced by people 
and leaders from the industry. So, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm still reasonably hands-on when it comes to a product perspective, development perspective, director perspective on that. Uh, you have to have a full detailed understanding of everything about the product and what it can do and what it can enable in order to be able to successfully see through and even just understand how the economics of something can work or how, how to be able to work with the right partners or how to be able to structure the right deals. And, and that's where it comes into this full stack uh, view, not just from a development perspective, but from an overall corporation perspective. So, so I mean, you just said that, you know, sort of some of the production deals that you had were sort of really fundamental in terms of securing your future and and sort of, um, you know, uh, plotting, plotting the course forward that that you've now taken with, with you know, a lot of success. Um, and, and it's been fascinating to watch because I'll, I'll be honest, I would not have predicted that Luminar would be sort of the company that would be able to really target that ADAS market and, and go for it. And in part because it always seemed like you guys were so focused on, on the tech side and, and you know, you're, you know, been working with the technology since a young age and all that. And a lot of times the folks who are like really steeped in the, in the technological problems, there tends to be like an attitude of like, well, if we, if we solve this problem or we come up with the best version of this tech, you know, the world will be a, a path to our door. And in reality, automotive supply, getting into the automotive supply chain is really, really hard. Um, so I guess, can you help us sort of understand like what was, first of all, what was the you know point at which you said, you know, we need to be sort of not just targeting um, autonomous, you know, robo taxi market, but but really trying to get into um, ADAS products, um, and yeah, and then just sort of you know how how have how have those deals happened? Because there's a ton of companies chasing them. Uh, what you know what sort of set you guys apart? Yeah, so so I think when when it comes down to it, uh, that pivotal moment was probably around you know 2016 uh, when we really saw the different markets evolving and developing, and it became very clear that while the requirements were incredibly stringent for all of these different applications, um, uh, one of the most straightforward ways to be able to implement autonomy is via more constrained problems, you know, via highway autonomy specifically and other other use cases that just really don't make a lot of sense when it comes to the robo taxi uh, application of it. Um, you know. I think we saw a lot of overblown promises um, that were being made and we're like, yeah, how on earth are you going to be that, you know, even with our stuff, like, yeah, we accelerated, but you know, that's still pretty aggressive. Uh, so I think when it comes down to it, that was where we saw a huge path to economies of scale within the traditional OEM world. Um, that said, um, we always knew that was going to be the critical path to achieving a, a great business at the end of the day, beyond just a great technology. Uh, because you have real economies of scale, you have a real existing, you know, three trillion a year industry across, you know, passenger vehicle OEMs, you know, truck OEMs, etc. And to work closely with those guys is incredibly difficult, though, and, and, and to be able to have that in direct established relationship. Uh, so uh, I would say that was that was key. Um, the reason why we were able to pull it off, though, was really just uh, when it comes down to me- a meeting the the very stringent specification that's needed from a scientific standpoint. B being able to do so at economics that makes sense. You know, this is not a $100,000 roof rack full of sensing systems, right? You know, this is uh, something that you can profitably sell into a production vehicle for, you know, $500 or $1,000, depending on the, the use case here. And uh, and then equivalently, uh, have something that is scalable in an automotive grade capacity. And, and that's where having the level of product maturity, you know, we've had to invest uh, nearly a quarter billion dollars into the product development cycle, you know, to be able to get it out to this stage. You know, it's, it's pretty serious stuff. 
So it was definitely a huge challenge. It continues to be, but I, I think um, we're, we're certainly over that hump. You know, the, the first one is the hardest to be able to get implemented into um, because to be able to, to, to see that, and that was really why it was a breakthrough with Volvo is kind of being the first in the industry. Uh, now we're just riding that, that scale curve for the different economies of scale for all of our different partners. You know, we're working with seven of the top 10 largest OEMs. But I think it's going to be a continued important trajectory. And the reality is, is that anyone who's just working on robo-taxis without the economies of scale of passenger vehicle OEMs is going to have a really tough time. And this is where the value creation is. What in 2016, you said you were starting to think about this. Uh, what were those conversations with automakers like? Because so much focus, even from OEM perspective, was on the sort of futuristic AV application. Were they seriously considering that LiDAR would be part of an ADAS package at that time when you were talking to them? Yeah, I, I, I think um, I think a lot of people were super skeptical. Um, you know, well, let me put it this way. Everyone going into the conversation thought there was no way. I mean, this is why all of these guys founded their own like robo-taxi arms. It's funny, like like the business that we're actually working with these guys on is their core business. The robo-taxi arm is kind of like a side gig that everybody founded so they could have an autonomous plan. But now people are realizing, wait a minute, you can actually apply autonomy to our main production vehicle business and have it be relevant to everything. So, um, of course, uh, just just one clarification, though. Um, when it comes to this, this is relevant for both uh, constrained autonomy, uh, specifically highway autonomy for the passenger vehicle OEMs, as well as these advanced ADAS features, which certainly does enhance the volumes associated with these programs. Um, but but it is for autonomy as well on the production vehicles, not just assisted driving. And the beauty of this is that it's all the same product that we have. It's all the same hardware setup. It's actually just different software configurations depending on the capabilities the the end customer needs, depending on the use case here and the application the customer you know end user uh, willingness to pay, et cetera, uh, for different feature levels. So um, you know the, the, there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it as it relates to us. You know, it's funny with the OEMs when it comes to this. It's a big bet because basically, you know, they're they're betting the, you know, they're, uh, you know, uh, effectively billions of dollars when it comes to, uh, you know, these production vehicle lines and and you know the the risk associated with if you don't deliver, you know, what ends up happening. So I think that's where it's it's definitely a huge leap. To be honest, Luminar and us like back then. We were probably the last company that any of these OEMs wanted to be working with and put their future into the hands of, right? I mean, let's be real, right? So uh, I, I think uh, the, the reason why we could make it work was just because there was such an order of magnitude difference in the technology, the capabilities, and the economics for those capabilities in terms of what we could implement in an auto-grade capacity that people were willing to look past all of that, jump straight hand-in-hand with us. And be able to make this happen, and that's where we've continued to mature. Of course, we're in a very different position now, uh, and uh, you know, really uh, built up a, a pretty sizable business here um, and solid, uh, solid order book, uh, etc. But when, when it comes to it, um, that's where I think um, that that's the early perspective of the OEMs, and now that's I think completely shifted. Uh, towards wanting to actively work as closely with us as possible. Um, so you had mentioned when you were answering Ed's question that any comp- LiDAR company that isn't sort of focused on ADAS as well or getting into production vehicles, I should say, is going to struggle. And about a year ago, I think we had a conversation about how there's too many LiDAR companies. <laughs> um, and are there still too many LiDAR companies? On the in the marketplace, 
Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, well, sorry to clarify the clarification. It depends on what you call a company, uh, in this respect. You know, the reality is, is that not, not to be too harsh, but, uh, pretty, pretty much all of these efforts that have, that have been out there are, are, are still very much the R and D stage. You know, there's no business case yet to be formed in terms of making sense out of it. And, And of course there's a lot of target specifications. There's target economics, there's target X, Y, or Z. Um, but you know, there's, there's a very significant difference between meeting those targets today, proving it out and, you know, being able to test and validate it for years. Uh, and, you know, just trying to be able to get something together that could potentially meet those targets, but. Sure. But there, there was a time when Luminar was in that category as well. Wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Um, of course, I mean, take it for what it is, but you know, from our perspective, you know, we, we kind of joked that we had to find 2000 ways to not build a LIDAR before finding the one way that really could solve the problem, get all those specifications down and really make that happen. We're not actually aware physics wise of any other way to be able to build a LIDAR to be able to achieve those specifications and do so at the economics that are required, you know, for these kind of series production applications end to end, you know, for this. Uh, but, but that said, um, you know, I, I think the, there, of course, then the, okay, then the question is, okay, what's, what's preventing someone from just copying everything that Luminar may otherwise have? Um, and uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, this is really, really specialized, high IP stuff. You know, we've had to assemble, you know, kind of the, 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 the relevant talent across the globe, you know, on, onto, the, onto the team here. Um, really uh, work deeply to be able to develop the, the largest IP portfolio in the industry. It's more than the other top five guys there combined. Um, and uh, patent-wise, and uh, yeah, continue to, to, to lock up the rest of, you know, and have exclusives with all the key and relevant suppliers. But I think there's no question, going back to the original question, there's going to be a lot of consolidation, uh, for sure. Um, you know, there, there, there's, there's going to have to be. And uh, even if a bunch of people could meet the spec, the, 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 the reality is, is that this window has been closing really fast uh, for the whole first generation of systems. I think, uh, you know, if you're not, the, the automotive design cycles, are very, very different than most other industries. You know, these are like 10-year design cycles for things across a platform lifetime. And that's where it's just so critical to get designed in early, start working with these development platforms, and then scale into production. So um, so basically, now, if you want to be displaced, you have to have something that, you know, displaced you a number of years out and has to be better and has to be cheaper. So, you know, it's, it's a pretty, pretty high barrier. Uh, but, you know, then the software story comes into play. But, well, you know, I'm sure... Maybe I'll have questions on that later. <laughs> so uh, this is my last question. I'll, I swear, and then Alex and Ed can jump in. So that being said, what's the biggest threat then to Luminar? Like, what are you most worried about? Cam- camera, like a, a camera coming in somehow. Uh, you know, there, there has always been talk about cameras eventually. Uh, cameras eventually, you know, reaching a level of advancement where they could. Um, or is it something else? Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 my my honest view is that it's 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 absolutely nothing external here. I I, I think the biggest Ooh. challenge far. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. If you want to say some epic line, it's ourselves, you know, <laughs> uh, you know. But um, no, no. But the, here, here's this 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 is the reality: is that this stuff is hard. It is really, really hard. I mean. To, to, to be able to transform, you know, even going through the stages that we have gone, um, you know, through the technological development cycles and getting to a point of where you can have an auto-grade deployable product is, is hard enough, but there's still a lot of milestones left to be able to reach series production 
in 2022. Um, so so we, we're continuing to do that. We proved out the main one, which is the initial delivery of, of the Iris um, you know, samples to, uh, to Volvo lining up on their vehicles. They set the clock for all the other production uh, arrangements that you have because they're the first out in 2022. Um, so that's why they're specifically as critical. Uh, but when it comes down to it, um, you know, I mean, I mean, look at what Tesla had to go through for, for their whole production ramp and cycle and everything. I mean, you know, there's a reason why Elon called it production hell. As crazy as he is on certain things, you know, I, I think I think there's certain things that are just hard, no matter who you are or what you do. Uh, so, and, and this is one of them. Um, so, you know, I look forward to continuing to do that. Um, I'm sure that you know that we're we're going to have over the scheme of things in the long term plenty of our ups and downs. But at the end of the day, I think the important part is as as long as um, you know you're designed in early, you're winning the bit. You know, you you have the technical specs to solve the problem. You have the economics that make sense. And you ha- and you have these uh, these development arrangements. Um, we, I mean, we've met every milestone so far, albeit a very very challenging to do so. But you know, I, I think uh, I think we're we're the best set up to do that. But there's no, I don't want to I don't want to discount. Just like you know, I mean, people think sometimes like the IPO, everything like that's like the end game for an entrepreneur. It's like no, 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 no. This is like the starting line uh, in terms of where we have to go to take everything to the next level. Like this is this is the real deal. People have you know, multi-billion programs depending on us to successfully deliver. So it's going to be critical. <laughs> um, you mentioned now in the last couple of answers, you you said the term automotive grade, um, which is something that, that you know, we've we've talked about a lot. And again, I think that's that's another one of those things that a lot of times folks coming from the tech sector don't fully appreciate always sort of, you know, how stringent the automotive industry's requirements are in terms of what, you know, any component in a car has to be able to uh, uh, sort of endure, right? Um, I, I'm curious, was that something that that you understood and appreciated from, from day one? Was that something that you had to sort of discover through this whole process? Like, like what, what was the, what was the point that, of that, because it seems like also, I mean, we've we've seen stories of companies who, who've developed lidar. Then um, I'm thinking of one in particular. I think Velodyne went to uh, Auto Leave, um, and and basically had them sort of you know take their their lidar that they'd have for a while up, you know, take it to automotive grade, and they needed that expertise. So I'm just curious, like, yeah, wh- how is that? What's been the role of automotive grade? Can we also qualify what day one was? Because it wasn't, Austin, weren't you working on like photonics when you were about 11 years old? So, <laughs> yes, exactly. So, uh, more, 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 more on the uh, electronic computing side. And sure. Was optics and photonics. But, uh, but yes, uh, so uh, <laughs> day, day one was, uh, was really in 2012. Um, you know, and, and the answer is, is that did I have an appreciation for that at that time? Absolutely not. You know, I, I think. To be honest, it was much more a maniacal focus about just making sure we can develop the technology to the overall specification that's needed for the industry. And, uh, you know, it was totally unoptimized, super raw. You know, it was it was just a proof of concept in terms of what, what we need to do. But it, nevertheless, a really important one, because the, the part of the hard part is, is that, you know, you have to convince people along the way that this is this thing is actually going to work. Right. You know, I mean, it's not it's not it's not easy to um, to be able uh, to go through the different development cycles, you know, and, and, and invest that, you know, uh, that full quarter billion that I mentioned to be able to get to this stage where you can actually see it through. It's, it's a very, very challenging process. So, uh, you know, but when it comes to the auto grade side of it, I think the full appreciation really set in uh, when when it became clear that the robo-taxi side of the game was not going to be moving nearly as quickly as the OEM side. And, uh, and that was where uh, it just became ever more apparent that you needed to be able to have a device that could achieve all these different specifications. 
Um, it, it's something that for sure is heavily underappreciated um, in the Valley. Not, not a single uh, autonomous vehicle setup uh, has been auto grade uh, to date or even, frankly, anything remotely close um, that's worthy of production. You know, these are, and don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with that during the development stage. It's actually better that it's not during early stage development. Otherwise, you're going to be slowing yourself down, actually. Um, but by the time you get anywhere close to actually wanting to put it into a production vehicle and get it out there, it's got to be auto graded. There's a very good reason for that for both. Um, I, mean, I mean, I mean, from an overall safety perspective on the vehicle and, and what are the different environments it needs to withstand the lifetimes, everything associated with it. Um, but I, I think just as important is, is, of course, the economics of what you need to be able to make it work uh, for these production vehicles, as we talked about. So uh, for sure, there's a strong underappreciation. We had to, we had to gain an appreciation for that early on. We had to make sure to be able to bring on the relevant automotive experts from the industry to be able to see this through as well. Uh, you know, this is not something that, uh, you know, it's just a spontaneous epiphany from us necessarily. But, you know, listen to the customer, listen closely. It's why we work closely with all these OEMs from the beginning. And, uh, you know, you know, you know what? Um, you, you get some really great guidance working hand in hand with these guys. Alex, Alex, you're so silent, yeah. Alex. What is going Alex, on? Here. <laughs> Austin, Austin, you've made, I've heard you give interviews prior to the SPAC. And maybe even one afterwards, where you you talked a bit about um, uh, how Luminar enables higher levels of autonomy, like level four and above. So, um, how much development have you done around actual autonomy software, not just um, sensor software, yeah. but actual uh, autonomy itself? Yeah, because I'm not entirely clear, and I and I don't know if you've ever explained that in depth uh, i i haven't um you know so it's it's a good it's a good question I, and and i think uh you know it, it's very easy for most people to kind of put us in the lidar company bucket you just because that's that's what we've been most prominently about uh so to say and you know i i think it's it's the it's it's certainly a hot topic but the reality is is that to be honest for most of these applications with the oems the lidar sensor alone doesn't actually get you very far. Like you have to have the software that pairs with it to be able to provide a clear interpretation of everything that's going on from the raw data and ultimately be able to make sense to turn it into autonomous driving decisions. Uh, and, and this is where uh, we're working closely uh, with a number of these, these partners um, in, in deploying not, not just the hardware, but also the software layer on top of this. And we do have a, a developed, sophisticated perception stack as well as some of the rest of the, the autonomy software that's that's in development here uh, to really be able to see through this full stack vision. Um, so, you know, in, in many ways, um, we are just as much an autonomous vehicle company here as we are a LiDAR company, so to say. Um, probably a reasonable comparable, you know, as you, I mean, you have like the Waymos and Cruises of this world. Of course, we don't compete with those guys, right? They're going for robo-taxis. We're going for production vehicles. Uh, for the OEMs directly, but that said, you know we're we're similar in that type in that type of business in the line. It's just for a more constrained application, and uh, you know for for something that that is an auto grade system that is meant for production vehicles for something that you can buy, and then of course for the trucking industry as well. So th that's that's the vision and basically what we're uh, what we're realizing here. Um, it's uh, we we actually we have. Um, we have on the order of 100 people, you know, internally uh, that, that, that have uh, had their hands on our own development uh, cycle as it relates to the software, as well as um, in the multiple hundreds uh, with regards to our software partners to contribute towards the overall solution that we'd uh, be selling into the industry. So um, that's that's where there's still there's still work left to do. Um, there's actually that's where a lot of the real work is, too, you know, that, that we see. Um, 
you know, the, the core hardware is really proven. It's done. You know, I mean, we're going, of course, continuing to validate it through the cycles, um, you know, up to 2022 SOP. But, um, you know, that the, the software is where you have continuous improvement over the year updates, data transferring back from all these cars driving around and uh, continuing to get better every day. Is this why uh, last year um, the company kind of went to that subscription or uh, software as a service sort of play that <laughs> we, had, we had talked about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's connect, connecting some of the dots. Uh, yeah, no, it makes uh, it, it, that, 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 that's exactly part of it. Now, um, now to be fair, not not um, not everyone uh, is is signed up for that model. The production vehicle side, it was initially meant we piloted it out from a development standpoint, and then also is relevant for like continuous autonomous trucking, um, as well as some of the robo taxi use cases here. Um, when it comes to uh, passenger vehicles, though, I think we're actually continuing to see people more down that trend. Like, for example. You know, with Volvo, actually a solid chunk of their vehicles are sold on subscription at this stage. Other automakers are switching to that model, uh, you know, and, and we're continuing to, uh, to see some really interesting stuff. Um, the other side of it, too, is also from an insurance perspective and angle. There's a lot to be said there. I mean, insurance is actually the ultimate subscription for a vehicle. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. People don't think of it that way. You know, they think of well, like, oh, how much am I? getting ripped off this month or whatever it is. But, uh, you know, I, I think uh, I think the reality is, is that if you can start preventing all of these different accidents out on the road, there's a direct opportunity to arbitrage those insurance premiums, which is the number one, you know, operating cost of a vehicle. And uh, to be able to actually rec- recapture a significant portion of that. I mean, you can end up having the autonomous technology entirely subsidize itself or, you know, even have another revenue stream associated with these things. So we're really kind of a, a taking a much bigger picture on this than any single component. And, and this is all enabled by the core capabilities of what we can have and the unique ability to put it into production vehicles. That's really cool. Can you explain though, just, not, I don't know. I'm, I think Alex had know what I was referring to, but maybe the audience doesn't, which is this, um, this model change that you did or that you piloted, which was um, basically driven by the high cost of development of working with these different OEM partners before you reach the production series deals um, to go to a SaaS product model. Um, that was my understanding. It was basically like just the amount of effort and time and expense that went into working with each OEM on the software side is what drove you to decide to do this sort of a SaaS product. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, and so so we developed part of this, uh, you know, a flexible model here to be able to adapt to to SaaS, uh, you know, uh, to a SaaS-based model during the development cycle, um, you know, of, of for uh, some of the different partners that we were uh, working with. And it was, it was really interesting. And it, it helps make things more efficient because the reality is, is that this is not like a traditional commodity product where you just hand it over the wall and, you know, throw it over and say, hey, you know, go figure out it put in your car and make it work. You know, this is, this takes a lot of hands-on development uh, with Luminar to be able to see this through. And, um, you know, and, and the, 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 there's, we've seen no shortage of, of business models and ways to be able to make this work. This is definitely one of the more interesting ones because I think it actually has significant potential to continue to carry over into series production for some of these different use cases and implementations. Um, people are evolving, you know, it, it's still, you know, um, we're getting people on board with dynamic pricing. And then, you know, now people are actually pushing even more towards a subscription beyond just uh, not just in a development stage, but in a production stage. So it's interesting. It's going to take some time, you know, I think for the for the whole industry to really evolve to like a SaaS based model. But uh, it's for sure gaining some traction. Um, 
So, uh, you know, it, it's been fascinating to see, you know, uh, Luminar uh, doing so well at a time when um, some of the most prominent voices uh, in automated driving, uh, one in particular, <laughs> seems to spend a lot of time uh, talking down LiDAR. Um, and, and I'm kind of curious, um, you know, is that something that, that you know, those, that, those sort of narratives that are out there, do, are those things that, that actually have like a material impact on the business itself? Or is that happening in a realm of perception that's sort of uh, potentially not super closely connected to decision makers inside the, inside the industry? Um, so a so cu- couple observations. Uh, one, it is completely disconnected from any expert or insider in the industry. I think there's there's only kind of, you know, I think a lot of say, well, critics say that, you know, X, Y, and Z is not as, it's really just one person. And I think, I think we know who we're, who we're talking about, um, you know, and uh, props to them on other things, but, you know, outside of the area of expertise, it gets a little, uh, a little hairy. But um, I think uh, when, when, when it comes down to it, um, this is where uh, there is no question. There's huge confusion when it comes to even, for example, like the investment community. It's like, you know, I mean, I mean, because here's the thing is that there's kind of a natural fallacy of if you think if someone does a bunch of things really, really well, you have a tendency to want to believe everything they're going to say, you know, for another area. And uh, and there's no question that, for example, Tesla has absolutely disrupted the entire, you know, uh, vehicle market with the introduction of electric vehicles. Uh, I mean, still a very small portion of the overall industry by volume um, compared to, say, the OEMs that we're working with. Um, and at the end of the day, we get paid the same amount per vehicle. You know, we're kind of agnostic. But, um, you know, w- when it comes down to it, uh, I, I, th- I think there, there's definitely a strong disproportionate effect. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure if Elon tweeted tomorrow, uh, you know, that like uh, from um, uh, LIDAR is his arch nemesis to, uh, you know, LIDAR is the love of his life. You know, everyone would uh, uh, would freak out, uh, apparently. But um, they would buy they would buy shares in Luminar, probably. Yeah, yeah probably, you know, for, you know, if Tesla is uh, like a 600 billion market cap company or whatever it is, you know, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, I, I, the hard part is, is that half of that value is probably attributed to the autonomous side of it. And, and I think this is the real struggle. I mean, I, I mean, you're hearing it from me, but but Ed, how, what, do you, what do you think is going to happen to all these people that are buying these ten thousand dollar full self driving packages, you know, out on the road for the supposed million robo taxis that are just a software update away this year? Uh, well, I would say a lot of them uh, are still, uh, you know, basically in my Twitter mentions, uh, telling me that it's definitely you know going to happen, and and I'm just a, a doubter, and you know. Um, yeah, whatever Elon says he'll do, he'll do, which, you know, the facts don't exactly <laughs> support. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think that to me, that's always been the question, right? Because it's like, you know, what Ray and, and there have been other examples of, of sort of folks who have, you know, did the fake it till you make it thing. And, and there's always sort of the question of, you know, you know, wherever the line is drawn, you know, you could say, well, you know, if we only needed six more months, we only needed one more year. We totally thought we could do it and 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 wanted to keep on doing it. But, you know, now we're we're known to history as a scam where that point is. And I think was especially with someone like Elon involved with who's that persuasive and has that big of a microphone. Uh, it sure seems like they're 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 dragging it out longer than uh, than I thought they'd be able to. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's a, that's a great point. Um you know, to, to, to what you said, if, if you, if they take the fake it till they make it approach one day, they actually have to make it. 
Yeah. So <laughs> uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I have, um, just, I, I have a prediction. My prediction is that Elon uh, is not, doesn't want to like to make what's it. Well, doesn't like to admit that he was wrong. And so at some point, someone could be Luminar, could be someone else will announce a, hybrid system of lidar and something else <laughs> that suggests yeah. that it's more than lidar and or that that might be the tagline more than lidar <laughs> and it's lidar is a fundamental component of it at which point elon's going to declare victory because he will claim that he was the first guy to identify that thing that was more than lidar and he'll buy the company or or make some crazy deal <laughs> and that at that because at that point I mean, his valuation today is sufficient to buy any number of companies at a premium, and that's how he's going to get past the limitation of camera and radar. Right. Yeah. No. It was. It was really funny. What. 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 One of our. Uh, one of our earliest investors. Um. They, they had. They had this like rogue thesis for us that was. Uh. You know that that one day. Um. You know the. Uh. uh talk about you know Silicon Valley and everything. They're, they're like one day uh, after Tesla. Finally, you know, doesn't doesn't actually get to the stage of where they can deploy it or, you know, the promises over all these years. You know, at some point, like I said, you cannot admit you're wrong, but like it's some like you can just keep going. But at some point, you know, it, it, it's I don't know how many years it is that people tolerate. It's been five so far, but, you know, until uh, till it, it doesn't happen. But um, <laughs> I mean, the reality is they're, they're going to have no choice but to buy a company at the end of the day or do something. You know, I, I think so. That, that was the uh, I found it kind of funny at the time. Um, but, you know, uh, since it's really our, our vision is to ultimately power all the automakers here. You know, it's it's, it's really not uh, not likely that we'll be uh, will be acquired by uh, any, any specific one. But I think it, I think it's um, uh, it's it is funny. Um, but nevertheless, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how the rest of that plays out. You know, I think one, one other interesting one, Mobileye was was one. That was where, you know, you probably kind of heard a similar, similar type of tune, you know, early on. Obviously, those guys, those guys are smart. You know, they, they, they know what's up. You know, the reality is cameras are absolutely amazing for assisted driving systems. I think if there's anyone on the planet that was incentivized to try to make a camera, a camera only solution work, it would be Mobileye, uh, you know, which tells, well, camera only solutions. So, uh, you know, I, I think um, that was that was where it was definitely a. Um, Kind of the the last major pillar here when it comes to a industry behemoth uh, to be able to switch to this and um, it's it's great to be able to see and leverage that that partnership. I I know um, Kristen we we talked about that a bit before so um, it's uh yeah it's 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 a lot of a lot of good stuff. Ed. Yeah, I want to you- get into that, but but just really quickly before we move on from this specific topic, <laughs> when when someone when someone tells you that LIDAR is a, a, a crutch and, and that you don't need it. And, you know, if you have enough uh, data from your fleet out on the road that, you know, you'll solve vision and, and you'll be able to do autonomous driving that way because humans only drive with two cameras, uh, you know, that whole pattern. What is your response? I'm just really curious in part because, you know, like I said, I, I'm dealing with this all the time on. Can I add? It's easy. Add you, you, you just ask if they're also from the Flat Earth Society. <laughs> sorry uh, yeah sorry oh, go ahead <laughs> no i was i was gonna say um or gonna ask have i have to imagine that in the tech circles you've somehow overlapped with elon somewhere at some event or something <laughs> like that have you ever had a conversation with him about it i i i have not uh ever, the, the various teams that have spoken to uh from uh, an assisted driving perspective there so for some, early on when we were having these conversations, for some reason, every time that we came back, there was another, 
the, the, the team was gone and there's another, uh, <laughs> another, another one in place. Huh? Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, but, but listen, at, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's tough, right? You know, we work, we work with, with everybody on, on various, various projects. So, you know, I have to be careful about customer confidentialities, et cetera. But, um, I think, uh, I think when it, when it comes down to it, um, you know, I, I, this is the key enabling technology. It's the question is, do you want to build an autonomous vehicle that has driver out of the loop capabilities, or do you want to build a better assisted driving system? And that's the fundamental question. So that's up to the OEM at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Can we get into uh, a little bit about, you know, not to, not to, Put the forecasting hat too much, but talk to us about what the plan is for Luminar, you know, coming up, but also where you see the industry headed. I mean, do you see, for example, here's a nice predictor. Do you think that the the U.S. government will eventually mandate LIDAR like they've mandated other safety features in vehicles? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I I, I think... Well, to clarify, I think it's probably more likely that feature safety features will be mandated in terms of end vehicle function that ultimately require the capabilities of high performance LIDAR to be enabled. You know, for example, right now, like even just really, really basic stuff like pedestrian detection turns out really hard uh, for, for existing systems. You know, it, it's it's very difficult for you know, a, an assisted driving system to have the confidence to be able to either slam on the brakes or even steer you around something. Um, if you have a high-performance LiDAR on the vehicle that gives you a ground truth understanding of everything going on around you, totally different story. And, and this is where uh, you don't need fully autonomous vehicles everywhere to start sa- that can drive everywhere anytime, do everything, to start saving the 1.3 million lives that are lost on the road every year. Like there's a direct opportunity to put this on every vehicle to be able to mitigate these, you know, what, 95% of human-caused accidents out there. And, you know, this is with software that can be deployed in the, in, in the near term. This is not like highly sophisticated pipe dream stuff 20 years from now. So, um, of course, you have to make everything work. You have to make the um, the economics work. I mean, that's that's what we've done with this product. But now it's just a matter of widespread deployment. And but, but here's, here's the other perspective. I, I think at the end of the day, it's not going to require regulatory intervention. I, th- I think for certain other things, it was incremental enough that it does require that push. But here's the thing. If your vehicle isn't just like 5% safer, if it's like 5X safer, you know, it really does make a significant difference, you know, in terms of modern technology. And um, I think just as like traditional radar systems were ultimately standardized, even like the mobile eye type systems were standardized, you know, this over the long term is going to be no different. And when it comes down to it, um, the safety improvement, the the the, uh, the comfort improvement, ultimately of the of the autonomous capabilities, as well as you know, again going back to this is this is like a more advanced concept, but the insurance side of this and the reductions of that that end up actually paying for itself with it, really, um, really all add up to something that uh, I I have a hard time seeing not ultimately being on every vehicle. Um, you you said something just now. I wanted. To- Get a little bit of clarification on you. You said that lidar gives you ground truth. How how does lidar give you ground truth in a way that a camera doesn't? Because I think this is something that people have like struggle with a little bit. So fundamental distinction: camera data, two D. You know, it's a it's a plane, and you the way that you drive autonomously with it is by trying to extract three D information and guess where different objects are 
using, you know, at the most fundamental level, AI, you're right, you know. So the hard part is, is that it's not super accurate. It's actually pretty good. It's 99% a lot of the time, but it's not 99.99999 to the 10 nines of reliability that you need to be able to put your life into the hands of something like that. And yes, it's improving. Yes, it's getting better. But it's nowhere even remotely close to that or the rate of improvement that would achieve it in any kind of foreseeable decades um, that would allow you to have and the level of reliability and safety that's needed that a LiDAR can give you and specifically a high performance LiDAR can give you. Uh, you know, a, a, a lower end one doesn't always necessarily do a whole lot if it's really low resolution. But with this, if you achieve camera like resolution like we do out of this, it does make a difference. So. That's where um, we have true 3D data. Like we measure every single one of these, you know, million points down to exactly centimeter level precision. And that's where, how we know everything is, where everything is. And there's no guessing involved. We take the whole guessing out of autonomy. And, and that's the whole point of how you can solve it. That's why we say it's a ground truth perspective. Um, and that's the fundamental rationale that's not to say that this replaces cameras entirely and they're not they're no longer helpful you know it's still it's still only augments and enhances it you know and it's you know it's already on pretty much every car so you know you're not going to rip it off but you know i, I think um when it comes down to it that's the key distinction and like like you know where is the um what percentage of, of vehicles like how, how do you see uh you know sort of the capabilities that require lidar proliferating like is it going to be you know is it going to be be like really fast sort of zero to almost ubiquity is it going to be something i imagine right now it's sort of looking like just premium but but sort of can, can you give just give us a rough sense of of sort of what that looks like like how far out are you know are we from uh you know the point where every car every new car you know does have the capabilities where they need to have lidar yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. You know, I, I think for a lot of these types of technologies, you know, you'll see like 20 year type cycles in the automotive industry from initial introduction to being standardized throughout the whole industry. I think this is one where it could, it has significant potential to see it much quicker than that. Um, you know, just because it is such a fundamental difference. It's not incremental. It really is a dramatic difference in A, the driving experience, but B, at the most fundamental level, the safety of these vehicles that... Um, have a hard time seeing it, you know, not having that level of capability and improvement and, and talk about the savings that, that are associated with it, um, you know, from a life perspective, as well as an economics perspective, it just makes a whole lot of sense. So, um, you know, I mean, the reality is, is that like, well, I, I can speak to us, like in our case, it, it, it's in part dependent on, you know, we, we want to be careful about um, taking on more than you can ultimately digest. You know, that's why we're taking on five programs for production initially. You know, we already have some of those slots filled with some of the public announcements that we've had, um, you know, but uh, but excited to be powering this and, you know, going to continue to take on more programs. That was part of the reason for to do this IPO and get out there, raise the capital, be able to continue to resource additional efforts. Um, so, you know, we're uh, we're definitely continuing to, to expand. But um, I think when, when it comes down to it, uh, that's where um, I, I, I think, it, you know, by the time we start seeing some very serious double digit adoption. It, you know, I think it could be um, more on a 10 year time horizon instead of a 20 year time horizon. I'd like to go ahead. Ed, sorry. Oh no, I was just going to say really, I was going to ask really quick. It is, it sounds like if you only got two slots left and I know you have a bunch of sort of development relationships. I mean, is, are we in a situation where people are, are sort of competing? Uh, OEMs are competing for those last two spots or. Uh, totally. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a great, it sounds like a great place to be. Yeah. Yeah. No, last man standing. I, I think, uh, no, it, it, it makes a, it makes a difference. Um, you know, the, it, it is a good place to be. Now the reality is, is that we're not going to be ignoring the other OEMs, right? It's just a matter of timing, you know, in terms of which programs we work with initially. Um, but, uh, but, but that's right. Uh, I, I think, you know, we do have a, a, at the end of the day, a limited, um, we're limiting the overall capacity in terms of what we're initially taking to launch. But the key thing is we're getting designed in and we've gotten designed into all these programs early on so that when it is time to be able to launch it in series production throughout uh, everything that we've gone through the development cycle, we're there and ready. So, um, yeah, uh, no, it'll be uh, it'll be a good road ahead. And uh, I, th I think that's where, you know, got a lot ahead of ourselves and up and coming. So th th and uh, thanks, guys, for, uh, for for hosting this year, too. This is always uh, a lot of fun. and. Uh, Definitely the best uh, best interviews and podcasts in the industry, hands down. Oh, this guy. Oh, come on, Austin. Don't oh, say that. Me? Like, okay, name, name, name what's better. Name one thing. Well, I can't, obviously. Yeah. Exactly. When you put it that way. <laughs> it's just that Austin has enjoyed so many of our anti-CES parties that... Um... <laughs> well, what are you guys going to do this year for your anti-CES party? We're coming well, to your house. that you... Yeah. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that and this is maybe how we'll close the show so um in the uh in the week of ces when this is all happening um when this when our um this interview will uh, no, this interview will be coming out thank you we are gonna attempt to do sort of a live type of show and you should show up and make your comments and harass Alex or whatever you'd like to do. And, and we'll be, <laughs> we'll be sending you details soon. Um, but in the meantime, um, I think uh, we want to thank our listeners for listening to another episode of the Atonicast. Well, thanks. It's been great. Appreciate you having me. Cool. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>